This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Vegas has developed the saying, Vegas strong. But what does that mean? I think our compassion for one another is what makes us strong. And if you're looking to learn more from some of Vegas's most involved leaders, then today you're in for a treat. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're sharing a special episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, a podcast hosted by Will Rucker that puts the spotlight on compassion in action in our city. For this episode, Will interviews Julian High, president of the United Way of Southern Nevada. Julian talks about the leaders he observed growing up in Vegas and how they inspire his work now. Compassionate Las Vegas just launched season five, and the first episode is up right now. So be sure to check it out and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. It's Saturday, August 19th. I'm Vogue Robinson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Hello, my name is Julian Hine, President and CEO of United Way of Southern Nevada. It is my great honor to be here with Will Rucker, the host of Compassion Las Vegas, the podcast. so much, Julia, for being on the podcast and for hosting us at this amazing facility. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this since I began my role here at the United Way of Southern Nevada. So it's really uh, an opportunity that I've been waiting for. I couldn't be more thrilled to be with you today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely a pleasure. So I get right to it. You know, I I don't do a lot of the preamble. Um, I really want to hear why United Way and why now? You know, I think that um, the significance and the contributions and the role that United Way has always played in this community, and we've been here for 65 years. We're entering our 65th anniversary celebration with a launch happening in just a couple of weeks. And I, um, I, what I know for sure about um, United Way of Southern Nevada is that when Southern Nevada needs us, United Way has been here. And that's been demonstrated through uh, moments as recent as the COVID pandemic, when uh, the, the community was paralyzed and really wondering and looking for leadership around how do we coalesce around helping the people in this community who are most at need uh, in this time of great crisis. And uh, the, the folks here at United Way came together, put together a plan in collaboration and in partnership with other nonprofits in the community and got some amazing things done in this community. Got some people, emergency assistance. They were able to get um, emergency food and shelter. And so the history and the DNA of 
United Way of Southern Nevada is in delivering for Southern Nevada when Southern Nevada needs it the most. And you have a long history with Nevada. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'm almost as old as United Way, unfortunately, I have to say. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's just, the, that's just the honest truth, as you can see by the gray hair. But, um, you know, it's really about, uh, you know, I was born and raised uh, here in Las Vegas on the west side um, and in the heart of uh, the alphabet streets, like A, B, C, D, you know, all the streets in, in the historic west side that um, gave birth and power to so many uh, African-Americans in this community. Um, born there in that community and grew up in that community and, until I went away to college. So let, let's go and dive in because the historic West Side has such a rich history. And a lot of people like myself, I've only been in Nevada about eight years. So moving here, I had no idea what rich history was there. So talk a little bit about what it was like to grow up in the alphabet part of town. Oh, anyway, let, me, let me say for me, it was... Um, uh, you know, there are downsides to growing up in a community that has less advantage economically than other places. And I acknowledge that. And I don't want to over-romanticize the, the experience. But for me, it was a place of, of possibility and hope and power. One of the first elected African-American officials in the state came from my neighborhood, Regal Estates, as we called it, the states back in the day. And that was one of my earliest examples of what was possible for black people. And uh, he was running, my father worked on his campaign. So it wasn't a big deal that this African-American guy, um, Mr. Aaron Williams is his name. So I say his name in gratitude and in power and in gratitude for his life. Um, was one of the first African-American elected officials in uh, Southern Nevada. And he, was, he was our neighbor and my dad worked on his campaign. That was just one example of, of some of the benefit of growing up uh, on the West Side. There's Ruby Duncan, another noted um, activist and fierce warrior for, for change and equality on the West Side. Mm -hmm. And she was in, you know, involved with EOB, which, by the way, was something created in partnership and, and with the support of United Way of Southern Nevada. And that EOB still exists today. So... Um, so my experience in Southern Nevada as an African-American male growing up on the West Side was very powerful uh, and very uh, affirming for me. And I took my experiences in that neighborhood with me everywhere I went because we were bused to school back then in the 19, I mean, I'm just going to tell my age here, but you know, I started going to school in 1970, in the early 70s, and I took 30 minutes to school each way every day back and forth. And in that 30 minutes, I was in the school with all, all of the other black kids. And because there were no brown kids who lived on the West Side back then, there were black kids. Uh, we took the bus together every day. And that built a certain amount of camaraderie and a certain amount of belonging, even though you were being bused out of your neighborhood 30 minutes each way. So it's an hour. So you learn to commute early, yeah. right? Uh, and you get used to that. But that was um, that was a that, that was a tremendously beneficial time for me because I even though whatever I encountered in my greater community in my school communities um, got healed on that bus going home and got dealt with on that bus going home. So by the time I got off that bus at, you know, on Sword Street, which is where the actual name of the street I grew up on, um, all was well, and I could go home and play and play with my friends, and there was no. Um, trauma for me around that experience of being bused. 
I only got the upside of that. And the upside was I got an equal education uh, through the Clark County School District. And I was able to, um, to make lifelong friendships and alliances that served me well even into, into, into today. Wow. So I didn't know that piece about your father working on the campaigns because that's actually where I wanted to go next was after Nevada. And I'm probably skipping a few details, but you ended up on a campaign that was revolutionary. <laughs> and it was my greatest, um, I have to say this, it was my greatest privilege and my greatest honor to do that. And I started my career in politics working for a casino company <laughs> as the head of government relations, right? Okay. So I wasn't doing grassroots, yeah. right? I mean, that wasn't knocking on doors. And I was you know, doing, doing this government relations job for this casino company. And so, but that, but that first job launched my career, which, was, which has now been a 30-plus year career, working in and around public policy and politics and in political environments and, um, or philanthropic environments. And, uh, and in 19, 19, I'm sorry, in 2007, when um, Mr. Obama was running for president, I knew once he had defeated Hillary Clinton in the primaries, that he was going to be the next president of the United States. I just knew it. I mean, and so I went, I got about the work of trying to get a job on the campaign. And I said, I, I don't care what the job is. I'm going to get a job on that campaign. And I was able through friends who were not Democrats actually, through the some of my Republican friends who have been supporters while I was in my corporate part of my phase of my career, got me the job, helped me get the job on the Obama campaign as a field organizer, which is the lowest paid job that you can have uh, in, a, in a political campaign. But in that campaign, it was central to victory because Mr. Obama had already strategized that he was going to um, win this war on the ground with the number of knocks on doors. And I wanted to have that experience because I thought it's a revolutionary way for people to think about winning an election. And I've never done that before. So this will be a teaching moment. Almost killed me. <laughs> I mean, the, the days were long and the work was brutal and you got to walk in the summer and you're knocking on doors and you're sweating and you're getting sick because it's too hot outside. And I would do it all over again. I mean, it was the most amazing um, experience um, I have maybe ever had in terms of personal self-mirroring and, and reflection and sense of empowerment in winning when Mr. Obama won that campaign. Um, because I know in that victory, there was a victory for all people of any other category uh, in this country supported by, by, by the majority of the people in America. So that was a powerful moment. And it um, reconnected me to that sense of power that, oddly enough, I had when I was a kid uh, growing up in North Las Vegas, uh, on the alphabet streets, as we say. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> wow. So it's just an incredible, incredible experience for me, and I'm forever grateful that I was able to do it. So you've been, been working hard to unite people for a long time, because really, the way I viewed that election and that campaign was really about bringing people together. Yes. And those who wouldn't ordinarily necessarily walk together did yes. in order to, to move that mission forward. And I love the message. Yes, we can. Yes. And yes, we can. <laughs> that's actually something that was in, in my, my uh, email signature for a while. And mm -hmm. that's my core belief is yes, we can. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what the can is. Like 
we can if we simply try. Yes. And I use the cliche, where there's a will, there's a way. Oh, my grandmother loved that one. <laughs> but I, I really mean that, and not just because my name is Will, but I think that we have proven time and time again that if we put our minds to it, we can do it. There's nothing, Canton, nothing that is out of our reach, not only as as Americans, but as a human race, right? Not only as black, fully formed, fully, um, fully powerful in my gayness, can I, but in my tenderness with my husband, can I, and, and all these other areas of our lives, we can do whatever we need to do or want to do. Isn't that the beautiful thing about where we find ourselves at this time in the time and place in the universe, right? Yes. And the fact that what you just said can be broadcast and people will be receptive is such a, a proof point that change is possible. Because 30 years ago, we couldn't have done that. 20 years ago, we couldn't have done that. And, and about 10 years ago, you couldn't have said husband because it wasn't legal yet. Right. So, you know, that's, that's just, to me, an encouragement and a point of hope that even more can be done. Yes. So that brings me back to why United Way is so important, mm -hmm. because you all received a wonderful endowment and you're putting it to work, but you're not doing it from a programmatic perspective. You're doing it through collaboration. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about the importance of working together. Well, I think I think you're alluding to, um, in fact, I know you must be alluding to the, the incredible gift that we received from Mackenzie Scott. That's right. And uh, which, um, which let me just say that Mackenzie Scott, in her generosity, uh, has been extraordinary around the world. In fact, I, I would argue, and certainly in this country and certainly in this community where so many people have received money. So our $10 million gift that we received from her, she picked us because she believed that United Way would be effective in its execution of using the funds. I mean, nobody has, nobody has heard her say that directly, but if you look at the examples of her giving around the country, she gave 26 United Ways around the country in that initial um, grant-making um, uh, first round. And, and, and we are completely grateful. And we haven't, not, we, so I should say, we have not created an endowment with those funds. We have, um, we have deployed uh, some of those funds out into the community so that we could increase the number of partnerships that we had and support the 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 kind of work on the ground through a diverse group of new nonprofit partners that we had previously not been actively funding. So we went from seven funded partners, partner agencies to 44, all in one year. And that shows the commitment and the talent of the team under the roof in this building and nothing to do with me. I wasn't here. So all I can do is be grateful in the moment of thanking Mackenzie Scott. But we have decided that we want to be very, very strategic and partner-like as we think about how to use the rest of those funds. So you'll see a continued um, flow of funding to a lot of the programs that we started last year with um, the McKenzie Scott dollars. So that means that the capacity is still at that level, right, that we help you know, raise, and that will then use time and the benefit of uh, being able to evaluate what's, ne what's next needed in the community. And we'll have some of those funds available to do some of that work too. So we, we try to be very responsible in the stewarding of this gift. And um, Will, just because I'm here with you today, I, I can like preview that there's going to be an announcement coming very soon from United Way of asking our community to join us in, um, 
in uh, helping to at least match some of the Mackenzie Scott money that came in that we've been putting out into, into the community as a way of, um, of showing that uh, Las Vegans show up for Las Vegans too. Mm-hmm. And, and we hope to, we, we know that we're going to be excited to share that with everybody coming up real soon, but we want to keep a little something in our back pocket. All right. Well, you can heard it here on Passionate Las Vegas, the podcast announcement coming soon. Coming soon. And it's going to be exciting for the community. And, um, and I know the community will come through. Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden-up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So what guides your uh, partnerships? What, what are the principles you use to decide who you fund, who you collaborate with? Well, you know, it's, a, it's, not, as, it's not a very mysterious process. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of you can go on our website. If you want to apply for, you know, for some funding, you know, those grant applications. We, you know, we do go through, like, I think there's a one year, and I'm going to get in trouble here, but there's a one year, like once a year we're, we're soliciting um, uh, applications. This is for the community impact grants. And, uh, and then people apply and we have a group of individuals from the community who then review those grants and those grant proposals. And then that group of people outside of, outside of any board, um, board leadership directive, that that is a community-based impact committee review process that happens. And people decide based on a number of criteria, some of them set up by my, by my team here, so we're vetting people for economic strength and, and impact. I mean, we, we really spend a lot of time measuring impact. It's a very important component of what we do. So people, even if they haven't had a history of long-term um, um, existence in, in the community, if they can demonstrate impact to our team and they have all the other criteria but, you know, met, then we're, we're interested in funding those grant proposals. So that's sort of the, 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 the way the process works. But we're really most focused on, on outcomes and what impact those partners have. And we, I'm, I'm very proud to say that we have uh, an amazing roster of diverse kinds of 
organizations dealing with after pillars. You know, whether it's um, education, which we're very focused on, we work very hard in that area with a number of community partners and people don't know this, uh, small businesses to get um, to get early childhood education into the hands of people who need it the most because this has been shown. If you get to kids early, you get them reading and, and, and proficient in reading early, then they have a greater success later in life. So that's one of our key pillars that we are very, very proud of. And then the other things are workforce development and then just emergency assistance. And we always have had a role to play in being a sort of last stop gap for the community. And we take that role very seriously. And uh, we have systems in place and ways of referring people out to our community partners uh, in ways that have resonated in this community for a long time. And let me just say this. We don't do this alone. We don't provide any direct services to anybody. I mean, our, our services is that we are a collaborator, a convener, a convener, and a partner in helping raise up the entire landscape of the nonprofit community. And that's an honor and a privilege for us. And, and we can't do it without our partners. I've always said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yes. And I stole that from people much, much smarter than me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but with, with that in mind, one thing that I've seen through the pandemic, and this has been an area of opportunity, but also an area of disappointment, mm -hmm. is we have relied on stopping the bleeding instead of stopping the things that's causing the bleeding. Mm -hmm. What is United Way doing to start or to stop the problem before they start? Yeah. Well, let me just say that, that I could not agree with you more that we have to get out of our reactive mode as a community. And, and, and a part of that comes from we're, we're a community that's uh, under rapid change all of the time. And if you think about the, 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 the life of Las Vegas and where we went from 1967 to where we are today, it's extraordinary. And there's no other community in the country where that happens. I mean, and we, you know, we go from family destination to adult playground to now we're the sports capital and sports capital of the world, right? Yeah. And it's all true, all within all <laughs> in a 30-year period, right? And, and, and the thing that I love about this community is that we embrace all of our new identities fully. And so that's amazing. What we have to get better at doing as a community is really being forward-looking about the impact that all of these multiple and, multiple and myriad changes have on the folks who are at the bottom of the economic the ladder in the community. And what is our responsibility as neighbors and brothers and sisters and friends to help bring everybody else up? Kind of like what United Way does in the nonprofit sector, right? Like we want to help other people you know, get better and, and raise more money and be more successful and serve more people, which is ultimately what it's about. The community, I think, has to decide, and I think we're close to that. We have to decide that it is not okay simply to be the entertainment capital of the world or the sports team capital of the world or the convention capital of the world. The wedding capital. Or the wedding capital of the world. Uh, and uh, you know, we, have, we, we used to have more churches in Las Vegas per capita than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so all of those things that are, that are, that are good and, and, and extraordinary accomplishments for us. I think what we have to do as a community is claim that we are going to be the best in serving those who are most at need in our community. And for the first time ever, I think I've been able to sort of really articulate what my message is to my brothers and sisters in the community, and I mean all my brothers and sisters of every stripe and color and, and ilk, that we have a responsibility in this place of infinite possibility to provide that same 
nugget of possibility for those who are the neediest among us. And I think that's my newly articulated way of thinking about my, our role at United Way and what, we, what the work is to be done here in Las Vegas. That just warmed my heart. I'm sitting here with warm fuzzies feeling that because I, I envision that for our community too. I think we're uniquely positioned in for our geography because we're, we're bold, right? So we have limits. And I think that because we are so diverse, yes, we, we have so much potential to really be a global leader yes. in what it's like to be human. Yes. And humans are innately compassionate and innately help one another. And, and I love watching kids because they can be fighting and just crying and just mad one minute. And then two seconds later, this is my best friend. <laughs> but that's the attitude we need to carry into adulthood where we don't let these, these issues of drama get in the way of what really matters most, which is our relationships. Right. So with that in the picture, how do you define compassion and why is it important? Mm. You know, I, I, when I left Las Vegas when, you know, when I was in my early 20s, um, um, you know, and I, I've always loved my community or I wouldn't have come back, right? I mean, I could have gone anywhere that I wanted to, literally. I mean, maybe I couldn't have, I could, I couldn't have, um, I couldn't have immigrated to France and lived in Paris, like maybe it would be my ultimate dream. But, um, but anywhere else in the world, I mean, I, 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 I could, I could, I, I chose to be here in Las Vegas where I live, and there's a reason for that. But I want to get to my, your point about compassion, which is um, when I left Las Vegas, I there was nothing on the landscape like what you guys are doing with Compassion Las Vegas. I mean, nothing. I mean, and, but, and the community has always been generous. The community has always been full of people with good hearts. I mean, if you're a Las Vegan and you're, you're, you know your neighbor's suffering, you're going to bring some food over there. <laughs> or you're going, to give, you're going to give your neighbor some money. I don't care if the neighbor needs money because they lost it on the table or because they, they, you know, they really just, you know, they're down on their luck. But in Las Vegas, and there's no judgment about it, right? That we're just going to help our neighbors. And so to have organizations like your, like Compassion Las Vegas, working here in Las Vegas with the hope of compassion being just a baseline of, of understanding and being is so tremendously powerful. And it is so because in this community, there was always a foundation of love, foundation of hope, a foundation of believing that anything was possible. How else do you explain this valley? I mean, so, so when you talk about, and I got a little excited when you talked about this being a world leader in compassion, a world leader in demonstrating that we can do the very best for people, it makes a lot of sense to me because that is, in fact, what, what, what we are capable of doing here. And I believe that because I've seen it demonstrated um, anecdotally, uh, anecdotally and on a micro level that, that we have people like your group, Compassion Las Vegas, working on that systematically mm -hmm. and working with others and helping other nonprofits be trained and helping people understand they should come to the world and come to the, the problems in this community from a place of compassion. It's beautiful. Right? And so that is hopeful to me. And I'm really, really happy that United Way of Southern Nevada has been partnering with you guys in this way because it's just so important that we show people through our actions and the way that we show up in the world, that they can expect empathy from us, that they can expect compassion from us, that they can um, be heard, make mistakes, be forgiven for those mistakes, and move on. And not, like you say, move in the drama, right? And if you have that as the basis of it, a community, there's nothing we can't solve, you know? We're gonna, we're gonna run out of water, we'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, we're gonna, whatever it is. Yeah. All of that becomes a better proposition 
compassion has been systematically instilled in the community, you know, in a way that that's lasting. I believe I'm starting to see that happen with organizations like yours and mine and so many others in this community. And I'm very proud to be a part of it. What I appreciate about what you just said is our community really is built on a foundation of love. And I always tell my couples, so when I'm not hosting the podcast, I'm on the strip marrying couples from all over the world. Wow. And I when didn't I know that. Them, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Maybe, maybe you'll do my second, my, my, your vow renewal. Yes, right. yes. I wasn't yes. going to say, I wasn't going to say, no, no, that hour renewal. We're not, there's no divorce. Keep <laughs> <laughs> that really clear, right? That's yeah. not the breaking no, rule. <laughs> but I always tell them, love is infinite. The more you give, the more you have. And I really think that's one of the secrets to the success of Las Vegas mm -hmm. and why we've been able to grow in the way that we have. It's because we've always given. We've given people second chances. Mm -hmm. We've allowed people to reinvent themselves. Multiple to, times. Multiple times. Mm -hmm. To reinvigorate themselves. Mm -hmm. That's why they come here for recreation, recreation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just such an, an energetic mecca for love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not by accident. So I really appreciate you highlighting that. On that other side of empathy and love, there can be overwhelm and stress mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. a sense of burden. You, I'm sure, get requests that you simply cannot fulfill that are outside of the scope of what you as an organization actually do. And I'm sure there are probably times you're like, you know what, I'm just going to take care of this myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, don't tell anybody here's, you know, lunch, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But how do you manage being in a helping profession where there's so much need when you're uh, when immense wealth is juxtaposed with immense mm -hmm. poverty right here? Mm -hmm. You go one mile away from the wind or something, you know, or another resort and you have people on the street. You don't have to go a mile. You can go on some of the bridges sometimes mm -hmm. and, and see people that have no, no roof over their head. How do you navigate that space? I think that um, in this moment, you have to be um, real but responsible. Um, there are the, the, the complicating factors around poverty, no matter what it is, or not having a good education, or not having health care, or not having a job, or, or having those things and still not being able to, 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 to eke out an existence is a complicated problem that is not easily solved and is certainly not easily um, addressed in even an hour talking together, right? So I want to be real about, about that, but I also want to be real in my sincere um, outrage that people have to suffer, you know, and I think that, uh, and that particularly for me, I mean, the thing that always really gets me is when our children aren't educated, because education is really, and, and people say this all the time, but it's not a cliche, education is really central to any kind of hope of a mildly, even mildly successful life. Yes. And so I, I'm, I'm most outraged by our inability to sort of um, and I'm not saying this happens across the board, but we are clearly not making lots of progress in the area of education in this community, as I see it. And that may be controversial. That may be a controversial thing for me to say. 
as the new head of United Way. Not meant to offend anybody, but that is just the reality. And so for me, when I see that kind of injustice, because it is injustice, I, uh, I am resolved to be a part of the solution to fix the problem. And that is why I'm in this role, and that is why I will ask other leaders in this community, both in the nonprofit sector, in the business community, and others, anybody who will listen and who will be willing to help. So let's tackle that issue first. And if that issue becomes central to reinvigoration or, and, 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 the, and, the, and, the, and the Renaissance era in the Southern Nevada community. Now, I don't, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't socialized this with, with anybody on our board or anything, but that's just a moral sort of um, response for me as a human being who has been the beneficiary of teachers and coaches and parents who invested because in me because they believe that an education was critical to my survival. And in fact, it was and is, right? And so I, when, I see, when I see suffering of any kind, my heart, uh, my heart weeps with that person in their suffering. I mean, for, first of all, so that's, that's, that's my immediate reaction. But then there's the practical reaction of what are you going to do about it? You know, and how are you going to help address the problem? And I get the privilege of lead, leading this organization that's on the forefront of trying to help solve those problems in this community. So that's professionally. I, I know what my mission is, right? And my father was in the military, so I'm, I'm very attuned to you got to get through and accomplish the mission. And I'm committed to doing that. But in doing so, I, there's also the recognition of that you're going to see some suffering that really... Um, takes more than what United Way can do, takes more than what any one person or organization can do. And that at the end of the day, well, I think that's why I'm so, uh, so enamored with Compassion Las Vegas is because you all say that no matter what, we're going to come at this with compassion. And if, that is, if, that, that's, if, that, if that's the baseline, then, you know, I can, I can work through my issues around outrage and anger and denial that there's some problems, you know, right, in, right before my very eyes, you know, right on the... You know, if I drive out of my driveway, there's, you know, there's people suffering. And, but if you have compassion, you can say, okay, people are suffering. I have to, I have to love myself enough to understand that I'm not going to be of any benefit to anybody if I let that suffering destroy me, right? And so you have to lift yourself up and, and, uh, and, and, and resolve that you're going to help solve the problem. And I think that is another beautiful thing in your messaging. Is that if, we, if we have that compassion for ourselves... We're gonna have it for others, and it's just gonna it's gonna it's gonna multiply. It's gonna you know it's gonna infect us all, and we'll all be a better society and world because of. It. And then I think that's the that's the promise, you know, what you're what you guys are doing, and in so many many ways, it's a promise of what United Way does and has been doing for sixty five years. But to have it have you in Compassion in Las Vegas at the table with compassion as a major as a central tenant, I should say, uh, helps us all. Which is why I, I love that we get to work together. I'm, I'm going to hold it together because I'm not Oprah. I don't cry on <laughs> But uh, I'm, I'm really, really glad you're leading this organization. Mm -hmm. I, I'm glad too. I mean, I'm, every day I pitch myself, I say, oh, I got this job. How do I get this job? And I tell my mother and have a mom, I got the job. You know, you got to help me today. But, um, but thank you for saying that. It's, it's, a, it's a great privilege to lead this organization. Bring a, a lot of, of heart and. Everything you said was 
uh, amazing, but it's what I felt mm. as you said it mm. that really moved me. Uh, so uh, this has gone by so quickly. We're just about at the end of our time together. No, how can that be? <laughs> I said, I said, what am I going to say for an hour? But I guess I've been talking and babbling on. No, it's been rich. And um, I want to just transition a bit because I had the opportunity to spend an uh, evening with you at the uh, farms in Northwest Las Vegas. Wasn't that amazing? Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> we bring our planet for their gala. But, um, you know, today you got the suit and tie on, but you were <laughs> a little differently dressed. And it was wonderful and epic. But um, I want to know kind of what, what are you listening to? What, what's on your playlist right now? And particularly, what song or, or record uh, remind you of your hope for Las Vegas? Mm. Well, my, the song I listen to um, almost every day um, is and, and, like, okay, so there's all these layers that I've lived through, but um, in, the, in the LGBT um, African American community, nobody likes uh, Kim Burrell. I love Kim Burrell. She has I a won't song. That again. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. She, she has a song that I play almost every day, No Way Tired. And it talks about, you know, how she gets rejuvenated. I mean, the, the, the message of the song is, I'm in no way tired because God fills me up every day and is with me all the time. And so I love that song. I listen to it all the time. But, and I'm a, so I'm a gospel fan, but I only listen to typically female gospel singers. All of them are great. So, so Kimberly is an iconic vocalist. Yes, For those amazing. of you who don't know her, I'm not promoting anything because she's not sponsor, but it's worth it. If you listen to her, she's done tributes to individuals like Whitney Houston. That's the level of vocalist that she is. So she's amazing, you know, amazing voice and amazing uh, messages in terms of uh, connecting me to my uh, Southern Baptist experience because I didn't have one growing up in Las Vegas, right? And so that's an important part, thing for me. And then I'm a big jazz fan, lots and lots of jazz. And I like all kinds of straight ahead jazz people, whether they're modern or older, you know, older generations. And one of my favorites these days is um, the Emmett Cohen, uh, Emmett Cohen trio. And I'm hoping one day that Emmett and his trio will come to Las Vegas. I've been all around the world uh, chasing and listening to Emmett. We were just in Portugal, Portugal together this summer uh, for a concert for, for him. So I love Emmett Cohen and locally, uh, if you don't know um, Jonathan Carrot, he was a local uh, um, local jazz um, singer and also a member of the LGBT com community and a fabulous performer. Love him. And let me just get my plug in for the Las Vegas music community, which is prolific. Yes. And you can go out and hear live music every day in Las Vegas, which is another beautiful, wonderful thing about living here. Did I answer the question? I think okay. you did. You gave us a lot. I appreciate okay. that. So as we wrap up, I, I want you to just finish the sentence. So I'll say a, a some word or part of a sentence. And I want you to finish it. Live United means. Doing your very best every day for your neighbor. Diversity matters because. It is. Hope never dies. Love is potential. I am happy and powerful. Well, this has been a true pleasure and a treat. No. Thank so, you. Thank you for, for joining Las Vegas and coming to lead our community through United Way. Thank, Thank you. you for joining the podcast so that folks can get to know about you as a person, but also the work that you're doing. 
in our last 30 seconds, what would you like our viewers to take away from today? I would like the viewers to go to uwsn.org and help us celebrate our 65th anniversary. We could not be more thrilled to be here in Las Vegas and have been doing the work for all these years before what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Thank you very much, Will. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Absolutely. And thank you for joining us for season three of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. What a way to end the season right here at United Way of Southern Nevada. As I always remind you, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. And what you do matters. So live compassionately. for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe to Compassionate Las Vegas Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Send them some love and be sure to tell them CityCast Las Vegas sent you. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. <laughs>